Welcome to the Shamrock, our first post-game podcast of the season following Notre Dame 27, Duke 13. I was in the press box with uh, about 30 socially distant souls. Uh, it was a completely odd, bizarre environment. I I do totally agree with what some of Notre Dame players said after the game, that it, it felt like there was some atmosphere there. It did not feel like a spring game to me in that way. Um, Matt, you, were, you watched it at home. And so I, I'm curious what your thoughts are from how the broadcast played. And then, you know, maybe we can get into the, the announcing crew later with Tony Dungy taking uh, into the booth. But like what what was it like watching Notre Dame in this very weird time uh, from a distance? I was going to ask you about the in-game master because I got to say from TV, it didn't seem that different. I mean, obviously, the pan outs to the crowd are not showing 80,000 people uh, gathering together inside for a game, but uh, you could hear the fans. Um, they kept showing fans, all of whom were wearing masks. Good job, Notre Dame students. Uh, I, I didn't see that much of a difference uh, with Notre Dame Duke on TV. I really didn't. Um, some other games looked different. Some looked the same. Florida State, which is still playing. Uh, but but I, I, I thought, you know, we'll go back and watch the film, as they say, as I'm sure NBC will as well. But I thought it went off, you know, from a broadcast standpoint without a hitch for the most part. I was pretty Yeah, I, I guess I was struck by how little I thought about the crowd of 10,000. Um, you know, I thought, same. you know, walking up to the stadium when an usher says, welcome to Notre Dame, thank you for wearing your mask. That was, you know, that was strange. I mean, you're, I, I did a lap around the stadium before I walked in. And I mean, you have to, they're, they're playing football in a COVID-19 testing site that's built into the stadium right now. Um, you know, that's one of the stadium's primary uses uh, these days. So it's, it's striking when you walk around and you see the masks and the hear signs and uh, the testing center as you, you sort of stroll around. So it's, I thought they did a good job with that. Um, the f- I mean, the fact that Notre Dame played football at all was a win, um, you know, when you see what's going on in the rest of the college football landscape. But, uh, I mean, this game in particular, you know, Let's address Brian Kelly's contract extension now because we're going to forget it later. Um, yeah, I already forgot it. So it was just like, I mean, fairly ballsy to announce it when you're in a, a one-point game with Duke or down to Duke with one first down. But uh, that's what they went with. And, you know, it's a three-year extension. It's not clear to me, at least, if they ripped up the old deal and gave him a new one um, or just extended it. But, uh, I mean, it's it's not a shocker in any sense of the word, is it? No, not at all. Um, I don't know if I call it transparent or excuse making or whatever. It was it was interesting reading the release. Like, well, we had it done in December and we were going to announce it in April, but we thought it would be appropriate, so we're announcing it now. I, I get it all. It's just interesting to, to see that in a release because you never see it. But uh, as I noted uh, on the app, second opening day where Brian Kelly has been awarded a contract extension could not be any more different circumstances between the 2013 season opening win against Temple and this one. The last one was to basically fend off NFL suitors because he interviewed with the Eagles in the offseason. And if you put true serum in any of us and probably anyone who worked for Notre Dame at the time about would Brian Kelly be here in 2020, let alone in 2024, I don't think anyone, I don't think Brian Kelly would have said yes. Uh, And now he has an extension that will take him through 2024. And I I put this out there on Twitter. The first thing I thought about was 
in 2014 when they announced their future series with Texas A&M, which starts in 2024. Brian Kelly got asked about it and said, I'll be drinking my ties on the beach by then. And there was a usual Twitter unrest. Oh, why is he always thinking about retirement or his next job or this or that? But I thought it was a perfectly funny, light, and normal thing to say about a game that would be taking place a full decade later in a world that we probably wouldn't <laughs> recognize. And yet, we might recognize it because Brian Kelly might still be at Notre Dame at that point. I mean, it's a long ways away between now and then. A lot of good and bad things can happen. But he is signed through 2024, which would take him through year 15, which is also a mile marker that he has publicly said he does not see an, any Notre Dame coach getting to. I mean, it's not a job that you can hang on to for 10 to 15 years, as evidenced by the fact that they've had, I think, four different head coaches in the time frame in which Brian Kelly's taken over for, for, for one time frame. Uh, before he got here. So uh, big picture, I think it's significant. Small picture, uh, I, I forgot they announced that. Part of the game. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, the, it's striking that he will be the longest tenured Notre Dame football coach in program history. He will be the winningest um, football coach. He's, he's eight wins away from he's eight wins away from tying Lou Holtz at 100 right now, which you would, eh, well, after a day, I don't know, you would think coming into the season he would get. And that includes the vacated wins, and it'll be interesting how. Uh, well, now it's Notre like Dame not even a question. To, like he will, you know, he'll, right. he will have well, what, it. Even if you don't include the vacated wins, he'll go out as the winningest Rock, coach in school history. Rockney's at 107, I believe, right? Uh, as I flip Holtz is at the, 100. Uh, yeah, Holtz is definitely at 100. Um, as I go. Kelly's now at 93, subtract 19. Rockney was at 105. 105, I'm sorry. So Kelly, 91. I'm not a math major, as you can tell from here, but 93 minus 19, I believe 70. Or no, 21, I'm sorry. Uh, 21 games they vacated. So that's 72 wins now officially. Um, yeah, 33 wins over the next five years. years. I mean, they have 33 wins over the last three years. Over the next five, yeah. Uh, that's doable, uh, to put it lightly. So... Here's my question. The conspiracy, conspiracy theorists, and you probably were uh, closer to the sun during this than I can speak to it because you, you've covered them a lot longer than I have. But a, a lot of the uh, the message board folks out there will love to tell you that uh, Holtz, the heat turned up on Holtz as he was about to eclipse Rockney's record. And that is a sacred mark that no one can get near. And hey, in a normal year, Brian Kelly theoretically could have won 15 games this year and, and tied it. Uh, but does the heat turn up <laughs> um, as he marches closer to that and inevitably passes it probably next I'm going to say no on that one. <laughs> That's, Notre Dame's Never not know. living in that world right now. Um, as far as the current team, I you know we talked about this on our last podcast about how openers can be very indicative of where Notre Dame season goes, and I definitely backed off that theory this year just based on no spring practice – the pandemic, um, the fact that... Are you backing off your, your pick to be... Uh, yeah, so I'm backing off that one. Um, is Ryan, we need Ryan Harris to come on and back off. His it just was... Um, well. I, I didn't say either of those yeah. things. That was. I hope that this uh, opener was not indicative of the rest of the season. I do. I think that it, it may be, though, because you know for, for Notre Dame to go where it wants to go, the receiver position needs to be developed so much more than it was coming into this game uh it needs to be healthier it's you know during the game you're sitting there thinking it's it's worth noting that Notre Dame's most athletic second most athletic and third most athletic receivers didn't play in the game um that that's going to have to change uh by November for it to be for it to be reasonable for Notre Dame to put a scare into Clemson and 
you know, Brian Kelly was very defensive uh, after the game about, you know, hey, did you guys not know we didn't have spring practice? Um, you know, because if you were expecting us to be a, a shiny new car in the opener, that's not where we're going to get. Um, I, I guess I just expected more from a third-year starting quarterback and five starters back on the offensive line when they, they sort of struggled to run the ball for most of the game. I agree. I mean, you look at the schedule, and USF's a wild card because they're a non-conference team with a new coach, and we really don't know what they have on that roster. Um, As far as ACC opponents, I mean, Duke's definitely on the lower end of the totem pole as far as competition they're going to be facing this year. There's a reason Notre Dame was a 20-point favorite coming Mm -hmm. into this game, um, and a reason we thought that they were going to um, (laughs) – as I wave to someone in Pete's family in the background, there's a reason I we thought they were we both thought they were going to cover. Um, Duke's not very good. I mean, they they have talent there. I, I'm curious to see Chase Price progress under David Cutcliffe throughout the course of the year. But um, Duke is an unnecessary penalty that wiped away a crucial interception away from probably entering halftime with the lead because uh, they would have been taking over in Notre Dame's territory with, with in the final three minutes or so. And Notre Dame able, was able to get a field goal out of that drive. And uh, there, there just was – there was pressure there. There were unforced errors, I should say, on that offense that uh, they need to – hope they got out of their system today because other teams are not going to be as forgiving. Uh, great, great we'll, – we'll get to all the positives in the running game and so forth. Kyron Williams was awesome. They still only average for 4.2 yards per carry with that offensive yeah. line against a defensive line that uh, I don't think is going to be one of the better they end up facing throughout the course of the season. And some of that, of course, is uh, due to the fact that they were without their three most athletic receivers whose status we really don't know much about outside of Kevin Austin at the moment. Uh, we could get into that too, but I, I, I can't say I came out of this game very, very encouraged other than to say, hey, it's the first game for everyone. Mistakes are going to be made. Hopefully they revert to their old selves next week, but that's that's a hope and a prayer right now. I haven't seen evidence. Yeah, of it I, so thought, far. I thought the the questions Notre Dame could have got answered in this game. The the first one and the biggest one was how good is your offensive line, and they they could have proved that. Like spring practice shouldn't have made any difference on that. They could have come out and and run the ball down Duke's throat. Um, you know, it was a pretty good front at ends, but Notre Dame is so much more talented. Um, than Duke at those at in you know that matchup that I thought that you were going to see more from Notre Dame's offensive line than you did. Um, I will I I thought that Reese as his first game as like the announced offensive coordinator really grew into the game. Um, you know I, I was wondering if we were going to have moments where you watched Notre Dame's offense and and said to yourself, "Oh man, great call." And there were a couple moments like that. I thought that the the screen that went to for seventy five yards to Kyron Williams was one right. of those. I thought that the the throwback to Jafar Armstrong down by the goal line, or that ended up down by the goal line was one of those. Um, so I thought that was a really encouraging sign that there were there were some moments in the game where he really sort of nailed a call. Um, it sounded like based on post game press conferences that Duke played a bunch of stuff that Notre Dame had to adjust to on the fly. Um, so maybe that's a little bit significant, but uh, overall, I, I liked how Reese settled into the game and, and found some production. Um, but I think that the offensive line not being ready to go at the start of the season was 
something to monitor. And then I think the receiver position we knew was a big concern, and it was. Um, you, know, you lose Bennett Skoranek, Skoranek in the second quarter to a parent hamstring injury. Um, that sort of didn't really – that robbed you of a, a guy that was supposed to be very reliable for you. Uh, you know, and then you're down to Avery Davis, Joe Wilkins, Lawrence Keyes, Javon McKinley. I mean, Notre Dame's receivers had seven catches for 74 yards total. Um, that's that's not a, a you know that's an offense where the receivers are are going to need to grow. Whether that's Kevin Austin or Braden Lindsey getting back out there, or uh, even bringing Jordan Johnson along. Um, you know, we saw the, a willingness to play freshman with Chris Tyree and Michael Mayer. Um, Mayer was very impressive to me at tight end uh Tyree's you know first game six carries 20 yards uh, you know with a six carries for 20 yards with a long of 25 um you know it was kind of a weird game but that's what happens in debuts for freshmen so I yeah I, I just they they're gonna have to grow up at the at the receiver position in a hurry it was you know Brian Kelly's postgame commentary was very much, I think, in defense of Ian Book, not letting him off the hook entirely for kind of an uneven game. And Book admitted that, you know, he definitely could have played better. But until there's a, a chemistry going with the receivers and Book, and if they have to turn over the receiver room entirely now, if Skoranek's not available, that's you're going to be learning as you go in games. Um, and that's, that's not conducive for an offense that's going to average 38 points a game. No, I do. I, look. Shout out to Avery Davis. I thought it was a tremendous yeah. touchdown catch on a 50-50 ball from a guy who has played pretty much every position imaginable at this point and who was very easy to forget, at least for me, as far as a guy who's on this roster and still capable of making plays. And we've said it once, we said it a hundred times, that there's one one defining great characteristic of Brian Kelly's uh, on-field coaching tenure at Notre Dame. It's been taking guys from other positions and finding rooms for them on the field to, to make plays. C.J. Procise, obviously the first guy that comes to mind when, when we talk about that breed. Uh, I'm with you, though. I mean, you look at you look at the quarterback comparison, and I know the box score doesn't tell everything, but Ian Book, 19-31, 263 yards, one touchdown, one pick, should have been two picks. Uh, Chase Bryce, very, very similar, 20-37, 259 yards, no TDs, no interceptions. Six of Bryce's passes came on those final two drives when they were down double digits, so... I mean, pretty similar offensive style, if you will, as far as uh, run-pass ratio from Duke to, to ND. And, and statistically speaking, uh, similar if not more successful uh, against an Notre Dame defense that I think is a lot better than Duke's defense. So uh, that's one way to look at things, one thing to overreact to as we overanalyze the first of what we hope is an 11-game season this year. But um, I did want to give Avery Davis his due, but it, like you said, it shouldn't come to that. I mean – we don't know what the deal is with Braden Lindsay. Um, he's a guy that flashed last year. And when we talk about speed is a guy who could be a difference maker and a playmaker for an offense that uh, looks now more than ever to be in desperate need of them. And don't know if it's health. Don't know if it's discipline. Uh, not sure if you have any information um, that, that you can share, but Bennett's crown, goes down. We were surprised to see him second on the depth chart uh, Monday when it came out and Bennett's crown, goes down and you still don't see a room, for this guy to come on the field, which makes me think he just wasn't going to play at all. Because uh, Notre Dame came out and said before the game, everyone who's right. on the depth chart is eligible to play, and he didn't play. Um, we can speculate there. I don't know if that would be fair to the kid, but it's 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 troubling if you're Notre Dame. I mean, you don't know what happened to – you know what happened to Vance Kronick. You lost him. You don't know what happened to Braden Lindsay. Not getting Kevin Austin back probably till the Florida State game. Um 
Is Avery Davis and Joe Wilkins going to be your two main receivers? I mean, Michael Mayer looked looked apart, and we could sure. be positive about the freshman now. I mean, Michael Mayer looked really good. Chris Tyree had had bursts where he looked good, and I was pleasantly surprised to see him returning kicks because that, that just always seems like the last place the staff ever wants to put a, a rookie uh, because of the, the potential for disaster there. But there's also potentials for a lot of big game-breaking plays. And uh, I, I think the trust they're showing in Chris Tyree and giving him those duties from game one, day one, uh, speaks highly of him. Uh, let's go to Kyron Williams, the, the, the rare preseason overhyped player who lived up to the hype and exceeded and who really won the game had that game ball in that zoom interview room wherever that was where we were able to, to submit questions yeah. about the alma mater and and going one and oh in the acc um but great game from him just really really, really I, yeah impressive. he uh he exceeded expectations for sure um you know 205 yards um all purpose two touchdowns you know the seventy-five yard catch and run, the you know twenty-six yard touchdown on fourth and one. You know that was really well blocked, and uh, I I was just so impressed with him because he was he could have he could have just kind of lost his his nerve after last year where he got buried. Um, you know he was played very sparingly, and you know the New Mexico game, the coaching staff just felt like. Where's the where's the fast guy we saw in spring practice and fall camp? Where did he go? Um, and he he just didn't show that in games. That he showed that today. So that's that's good to see. That I mean, you feel like Notre Dame has a a back that it can rely on because I think that Chris Tyree is going to be sort of next uh, next in line there. He's he's only going to get better and better and better and better. Um, you know, maybe Jameer Smith is in a situational role. Jafar Armstrong only had two carries for five yards. Um, but was still, you know, had a had a big catch down by the goal line that uh, that twenty yarder. So, I, you know, I I give Williams a ton of credit because that was a big thing to come back from after um, you know really sort of being put out to pasture last season. Um, that I felt like Notre Dame came away from this game, and you think, all right, who are Notre Dame's playmakers? Mayer is definitely going to be one. Tyree is going to be one. Kyron Williams is definitely going to be one. Tommy Tremble is going to be one. And then now we're at a point where you got to find one or two at, at receiver. Now is the time to celebrate. Football is finally back, and DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, has millions of reasons why you should be excited. To kick off the football season, DraftKings is giving new users a free shot at a $1 million top prize, with a total of $3 million up for grabs for this Thursday's football contest. Getting in on Thursday night's single-game showdown is easy. All you have to do is download DraftKings using promo code MAZE. Draft six players from the season opener. Stay under the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. So, head to the app now to start making it rain. Plus, new users who sign up today on DraftKings using code MAZE will receive a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game like having a shot at a $1 million payday. Download the DraftKings app now and use code MAZE. That's M-A-Y-S. For a limited time, new users can get a free shot at the $1 million top prize and $3 billion in total prizes. Don't miss this extra special week one bonus. Enter code MAZE to get a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. That's code MAZE, only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. I'm sure Dexter Williams did this. I don't have the stats in front of me, but... 
Have they had a guy post a running back post over 200 yards rushing and receiving Ooh, recently? Uh, I would think Dexter did that year because he was really dominant towards the end. That's a good question. I don't. I don't know. Um, I have to go back and, and check that out. I, I, it's it's been a minute since they've had a back do that because it's that's just a lot of production. Uh, and I mean, to, they to have 205 yards in a game where Notre Dame had. That was that was half of Notre Dame's yardage. Basically, they finished with four forty one. So that was that was really impressive. Um, defensively, uh, they rotated so much more than I expected. Uh, I I thought that they would sort of roll with maybe a top six or top seven on the defensive line, and they were playing. I, I think they played t- at least ten guys, maybe eleven. I'm interested to go back and watch that on tape. Um, they played more linebackers than I was expecting. They really sort of had a six-man rotation there. You know, in the secondary, didn't rotate a lot of corner, and then they had to replace Kyle Hamilton in the third quarter. That was a, that was a big one. Um, you know, it's like you mentioned, sort of Ian Book could have had that second interception. You know, breaking news, if Kyle Hamilton's on the field, D.J. Brown is not, and Kyle Hamilton picks that off right. and, you know, probably returns it for a touchdown. So, it right. uh, Hamilton, I thought, was Notre Dame's best player when he was in the game. Um it's my understanding, talking to people that are close to him, that it was a low ankle sprain. Sounds like a CAT scan tomorrow. I'm still sort of reporting out on that, so please don't hold me to that. But uh, it is not the worst-case scenario. Brian Kelly apparently said on radio that it was he could have gone back in the game. I don't necessarily believe that. But um, you know, it was, it was a question that sort of went unanswered in his post-game press conference. Yeah, that's, I mean, the biggest hold-your-breath moment coming out of this. You know, wins a win, however ugly or pretty it is. This has basically become the Kyle Hamilton hype machine podcast over the last year. And so your heart skips a beat when you see him go down and you don't have any clarity about what that is. It was just like uh, an awkward hit. I, like it was, yes. you know, it just, it didn't look good. It's my, my heart dropped. Cause you're thinking like I, there was a really good story on the athletic on Jalen Smith um, last week from one of our writers in Dallas they quoted this guy named Joe yeah. Schmidt in there. I don't know if you've former, heard of him. Former guest of the Shamrock. I'm not sure if he's done anything <laughs> else. Um, and, yeah, just like, ah, oh, the leg is like it's bending weird. It's awkward. He's down. Um, you know, walk, was able to walk off to the bench uh, under his own power, but very slowly. So that was that was tense. Um, and in some ways, I think the defense was in the process of settling down to what Duke was trying to do at that moment. So it's not like Duke carved him up immediately, but – if you're adjusting with Kyle Hamilton versus not, I'm not sure if Duke would have moved the ball at all. Uh, and certainly that that heave pass over the middle, Hamilton picks that off. That uh, that sort of hits DJ Brown. Specialists had a great game. You, you put some tweets out there during the game about them. You would think that would be like the biggest sacrifice, if you will, of an abbreviated off season, but um, they look good. Uh, Jack Swarbrick during his halftime interview with Jack Collinsworth said Jay Bramblett had been the player of the game so far. I don't know if that's such a good thing, but hey, good for Jay Bramblett. Um, I mean, that 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 got them out of their offensive rut, if you will, and was able to, to open things up. And sometimes, especially in whether it's a big game or a first game or whatever the stage may be, uh, sometimes you just need a little sunshine to break the ice, so to speak. And Notre Dame mm-hmm. got that uh, with a pretty gutsy call. It was funny seeing Ian Book's reaction to being asked about if he knew that was coming, and it was – we're always ready uh, to go on the field just in case, but I didn't know it was coming. Uh, I've always wondered, like, you can't really tell anyone on the sideline, right, other than 
your putt or your blocker <laughs> that you're gonna fake right now. I mean, yeah, you know. I want I wanted to get more information <laughs> on that. I tried to ask about it um, because watching, I don't know if the TV copy picked this up. Like Duke only had ten guys on the field, uh, and there was the eleventh guy was coming on as the ball was being snapped. So I I wanted to know if Bramblett just sort of did the okay. There's one, two, three, four. Oh, there's only four guys over there. there should be five. I'm gonna run it that way. Um, opposed to like a fake being called. I don't, I don't have an answer for that. Um, the way Brian Kelly described it, it sounded like it was a fake punt call regardless, but uh, you would think that only having 10 men on the field would have to play some factor in that. I just, I just don't have an answer if that is true or not. I'm trying to, trying to suss that out. By the way, uh, Notre Dame is the only Midwestern team alive for probably the college football playoff after today. Iowa State... <laughs> Pete's favorite. Stop. Uh, has not recovered. Has not recovered from his prediction, as well as Kansas State. I guess Kansas plays tonight, and I guess they're technically in the mix uh, and have a national championship winning coach in Les Miles. But uh, Notre Dame, king of the Midwest, undefeated in ACC play, and now transitions to non-conference play next week against South Florida. Uh, what can you? And I don't say this to, to go back to Thursday and hold you to that Clemson prediction, but what can you, Hmm. how does this game impact the way you predict the way this season unfolds? COVID uncertainties and roster uncertainties due to that around the country aside week to week. What's like, what's your takeaway in the same vein of every season opener in 2014 has been indicative. What's this game indicative of for Notre Dame? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a fair question because I was, you know, went out on a limb and it snapped off based on what I saw on Saturday. But I, I guess I feel like what you can take away from this game that would, that would not eliminate the idea of Notre Dame beating Clemson, which, which feels a little silly right now as we record this, is that they have a lot of time between now and then to get Austin back, to get Lindsey healthy, to get Jordan Johnson up to speed, that the receiver position should look a hell of a lot more athletic on November 1 than it did on September 1. Um, so that, to me, that's the biggest thing. Um, the second biggest thing that I think would give you some hope that Clemson can still be a game is that, and when I talked to Liam Meikenberg over the summer, he was just, you know, and I didn't press him on it because we were talking about a different subject matter, but he, he was he was sort of referencing how, you know, for him and an offensive lineman, usually it takes a couple games to sort of like, you know, get back up to game speed. Okay, you know, I, I thought that they would have been there already because they're so old and have played so much football. But for the sake of this discussion, let's, you know, give Notre Dame's offensive line the benefit of the doubt. Those are two things where I think Notre Dame can be a lot better. Um, but that said, um, I thought that Ian Book, for for Notre Dame to really give Clemson a scare, was going to have to make Duke look like he made Northwest, or North, or, I'm sorry, not Northwestern, New Mexico – and Bowling Green. Um, I thought, you know, he's going to have to show that he can just destroy a mid-level opponent the way that he has really knocked out some some worse opponents. And that, I'm not sure that we saw, like, pocket presence and, and all that kind of stuff today. Um, so that's, I wouldn't, you know, if Notre Dame doesn't improve, then they do not have a shot. Um, but I do think that they have a lot of upward mobility, um, based on, especially at the offensive skill positions outside of Kyron Williams. When I put out a call for questions before we recorded, uh, you could probably guess the theme. A lot of them uh, are, have we peaked as an O-line? Has Ian Book 
peaked as a quarterback. Uh, I feel like we've, we've talked a lot about that uh, so far, but one from Clint Novak did say, if you had to rank these in terms of reasons why the offense wasn't great today, how would you rank them? Injuries at receiver, the O-line performance, Ian Book, the pandemic, and lack of real pa- practice. I'm just going to discard those last two because everyone has it. I'm not an, yeah, everyone has it. And I'm not an epidemiologist. I can't tell you what X number of practices versus others means and who was out at practice and so forth. Um, I mean, I think injuries or wide receivers are very, very, very significant. Oh, yeah. I don't want to discount those at all. That said, I mean, injuries happen. I don't think we're talking about a guy who was not on the roster last year in Bennett Skoranek. Uh, we're talking about another guy who wasn't on the roster last year in, in Kevin Austin. Uh, you, Jordan Johnson, Lenz, not Lenz, on the roster George, last year. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, I, I just, you would hope, you would think they would have recruited or developed better at this point. And maybe that shows to be not the case over the next couple of games. But there's very little to get excited about looking at that group right now, minus Chase Claypool and Cole Komet from last year. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a the recruiting part is definitely a fair criticism because, you know, when you watch Michael Mayer, who was a five-star prospect, run around, and you're like, right. oh, yeah, that's a little bit different. Um, you know, see Kyle Hamilton fly around, oh, that's a little bit different. Um, those are kind of the players that can get you over the top. And, you know, one of, one of my big questions about Notre Dame's offense this year was, if it's third and whatever, who's going to get you the first down? Who's a player that can sort of make you feel like you're playing 12 on 11, um, that can break a tackle, that can make someone miss? You know, and Michael Mayer had one of those moments today where he caught a pass underneath and had to run for the first down and had to, on, thir- on a third down conversion and had to break a tackle to get it. And, I mean, he looked great doing it. So, you know, do they have more guys like that? Can Tyree develop? Can Jordan Johnson develop? Can Austin come back? I think Austin, based on what we saw in spring practice, is an easy pick to say – this guy can be can be great, um, and I know that's very. It probably sounds somewhat optimistic considering how little he's done on Saturdays. But I I have that level of faith that if he is in the game, he will be great. Um, but they they need that. I mean, that's just sort of a, that's it's sort of a I, I guess the minimum to entry to to go out and push Clemson and, and win that kind of game. I mean, it's. You need you need that to hold off North Carolina, Louisville, Pittsburgh, Florida State. Um, I'm not sure if you're going to sweep those games uh, without more from the positions than you got today. But I think they they will get so much more from those positions a month from now than they did today. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like "I lost my mojo." Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or, sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com Shamrock and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com Shamrock today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com Shamrock. GetRoman.com Shamrock. 
Nick Blashill, Blashill, sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong. This is a question right up our alley because we've we've basically made a game amongst ourselves to translate Brian Kelly ease. He said, can you apply your BK translation skills and speculate on his actual feelings toward the offense? <laughs> I did, did, I, did I hear the word traits? I don't think I heard the word you know, traits. I don't know. It was uh, kind of, I was late because my Zoom link wasn't working and it was, yeah, it was all just kind of a mess. But I, I thought that he was defensive about it because uh, when he was asked about, hey, did you, did you think this was going to go better than it did? Um, he started into like, well, you know, hey, I, I don't know if you knew, but there was a pandemic. Um, you know, so he, he was definitely on the defensive about it. Um, so I, you know, I thought that was kind of an interesting point of, uh, I guess, starting point for perspective on that kind of question. Because um, I, I, I think it's completely fair to, to ask for more out of the gate than what they got. But, you know, in the second half, I, I think they got a lot better. Um, you know, they didn't I, – I think Book talked about at halftime, like, nobody was freaking out. Um, you know, nobody was <laughs> – wasn't the Will Ferrell old school that we have to keep our composure in the locker room. So that's – I mean, that's good too. There's a reason why Notre Dame has won 19 in a row at home and I think 25 straight over unranked opponents. It's like what was happening in the first half doesn't really get to them. You know, it might get to Twitter. It might get to message boards. But doesn't really get to the sidelines or the coaches, so that's that's significant. Um, but you know, it's Notre Dame has entered this realm now where we're just going to sort of judge everything against Clemson, which is kind of a, in some ways fair, in some ways unfair. That you know you have your you have a one game season to play, but if you know if Notre Dame wants to take the next step. That's the game that they, they have to win and, and sort of figure out a way to get over the hump. So you're sort of evaluating everything that Notre Dame does against the through the lens of good enough to be Clemson or not. You know, and today I think you'd have to put in the not category. Yeah, I mean, it. it's funny in years past whenever we were covering Notre Dame teams that looked playoff caliber. Uh, they would always talk about these kind of nebulous, amorphous goals. Like, oh, our goal's still in front of us. And we'd say, what's that goal? And they'd be like, uh, just to be better next week and to keep winning games, you know. Now, like, you have that actual carrot of an ACC championship trophy with an absolute Goliath standing in the way of that in Clemson where, yeah, that's how this thing is going to be framed. I mean, you look at last year, they lose that Georgia game and automatically it's, oh, they're, they're, not, they're out of the playoff, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, what are they playing for? You know, like, they're still games to get excited yeah. for, but, like, that goal was – pretty much off the table by game three last well I, I would argue that it was off the table after Michigan like well it was definitely off the table then but even then the conversation is well, are we even going to get in if we go to 11 and 1 I mean you know there, there's that paranoia amongst every fan base of they're out to get us and we don't have the conference championship and yeah, we're not gonna today ESPN's doing a game day have... feature on thank you Notre Dame like how the tables have turned yeah, which I, I didn't really follow that no. one god bless our friend Gene Wodehowski um but the broadcast crew did say during the game, Brian Kelly, they asked Brian Kelly about that. You know, is that the goal now, right? You have an ACC title to play for. Um, is that mm-hmm. the goal? Like, is that on your bulletin board? And he said, no. Like, that's, you know, part of our path to get where we want right. to go. But, like, it's not ACC championship or bust. So they may not be thinking about it or saying it uh, in those four walls, which is fine. They may not be freaking out in that locker room, which I think is also fine and frankly should be expected. I mean, if you have a three-year starting quarterback who's a two-time captain and 
the only quarterback to ever earn that distinction in Brian Kelly's 11 years. Uh, yeah, I mean, they should not be freaking out about winning by only four points at halftime, no matter who you're playing. They should put their heads down, go to work, and come out and play better the second half like they did today. I would expect that from a mature team with an established, uh, with that established coaching staff. Um, on the subject of ACC, they did mention during the broadcast, and I, I was curious about this, so I'm glad they brought it up, because you see Army, uh, another independent, uh, BYU, another independent. You see these teams lose their schedules and develop a whole new schedule from scratch and think, oh, well, why did Notre Dame just take that route as an independent? And they confirmed that Alabama did reach out. There were talks about playing Alabama yep. and that Notre Dame's phone was ringing off the hook for games. Uh, but Jack had the foresight. I will credit him for this to say if everyone went conference only, which looked like everyone was going to do, and which, well, actually only only technically uh, the SEC has done that. The others are playing plus ones. But if everyone went conference only, we're back to square one, and we got, we're on our own again, and we got to schedule teams, pretty much non-power five teams to fill out our schedule. So makes perfect sense why they did what they did. I think that would have been a completely unnecessary risk, right? Like the the idea of like we're just going to – we're going to – because the ACC is going to be like, screw you. I mean that 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 right. would not that would not be being a good business partner uh, if you're Notre Dame to the ACC, and the ACC was willing to be a good business partner back for the, you know, low low price of a lot of ACC stickers everywhere um, in your stadium. You know, it felt like a, a minor league baseball stadium in some ways. There was so much advertising for the ACC in there, whether it be on the pylons, the stanchion of the goalposts. They had one on the front of the helmet, one on the back of the helmet, one on the jersey. They had them on the field. They put them in the wrong spot. They had to move them. I mean, it was just – there was a lot of ACC. Um, the ACC was not letting you forget that Notre Dame was part of the ACC uh, for this season and this hopefully this season only. We need to get ACC stickers on our Wonder Bread car when we drive to <laughs> Charlotte for the ACC title. Game together. Yeah, I'm hopefully surprised they, they didn't, us. like, have uh, – entitled the game as if it was a bowl game like Notre Dame Duke brought to you by the ACC on NBC Bojangles yeah yeah, or whatever this game is Uh, is, will be simulcast on Jefferson Pilot Um, there was a lot a lot of ACC stuff I don't I don't think it makes much of a difference Um, it looks weird it feels a little strange but whatever it it's a good business relationship for Notre Dame it's a good business relationship for the ACC they both win out of this for Notre Dame, I think they were very shrewd to get in as much as they did. I think they they are probably getting more out of it than the ACC is getting out of it because it's not like, you know, normally I would say, hey, when Notre Dame comes to town, sell out crowd. Right. Yeah. Notre Dame's going to Wake Forest in two weeks. Zero people are going to be there. So it's, oh. um, you know, that upside other than, you know, maybe driving a few people to uh, sign up for the ACC network through YouTube TV or Hulu. Um you know, that that's probably the big benefit this year. Speaking of which, I need to figure out how to do that. I'm a YouTube TV disciple. The only thing I miss out is the marquee network, which is funny because I live walking distance to the <laughs> Friggin stuck with Xfinity. And I'm not, a, I'm not allowed in there either, but that's okay. Jason Benetti is the best announcer in all of sports. Maybe we can talk to somebody at ESPN. They can send me a copy. Gladly watch the White Sox every night, but that's neither here nor there. Notre Dame, as you said, won their 19th straight home game, dating back to... Uh, September 30th, 2017, against Miami of Ohio. Uh, the only other Power 5 programs with better home winning streaks right now are Clemson at 23, Ohio State at 21. Uh, one more I want to ask you on the subject of signage. I think you may have asked Brian Kelly about this in the offseason. Um, this may be a dumb question. 
Um, not uh, the most well-versed on social media. Rally, that was on there. They've tweeted that a lot. It's been on, it was on their jersey today and will be the season. What is that exactly? So I was, I wanted to write about this. It was a story that didn't make it. Um, So I'm going to try to revive it now that it's on the jersey itself. But um, so it's, you know, you have the, it's the first word of the fight song. Rally Sons of Notre Dame. Um, So that's how it fits together. Yeah. Tell us, cheer, cheer, cheer. Uh, I'm, you know, it's... Or that alma mater? Yeah. Or, or, um, gotcha. So it, uh, it fits that way. I think that the it captures a lot of stuff, whether it is um, social injustice, the Black Lives Matter, or the pandemic, um, you know, just a football season in general. Um, so that it works that way. I did not think they would put a patch on the jersey, um, but... Well, it's, it's, it's a... Uh, an ethos or is it like an advertisement from a, is that a company right no I mean, no no no, no. this may be a dumb question yeah no it's like um it is it is purely a um purely just a lyric is the first lyric gotcha. or the first word in a song um that is very gotcha. indicative to Notre Dame they, they came out in the summer they put together sort of a um a video of you know and it was I thought it was really well done that's why I wanted to write about it it was kind of like a lot of video clips in reverse. The music was really good. Um, you know, Notre Dame thought long and hard about, you know, what they wanted to do with this. And, you know, I think initially it was going to, the sort of the motto for this year was going to be built different. And I think that Navy already had it. So they had to find something else. Um, Navy getting in the way of everything this I know. year. God, the worst. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, you know, rally sons of Notre Dame singer, glory and sound of fame, so on and, and then the the way they did the video, I thought was really sharp, um, and so I I didn't think that it would sort of make it to the jersey, but it was I thought it was a pretty cool and slickly done um, sort of motto. But it's it's not an advertisement; it's not for you know Rally's Burger but, Chain or anything like that. Well, the, the way they keep tweeting it, "Go Irish Buy Rally," is the way most people tweet like advertisements from you know Nike or Mubber. So I just wasn't sure what if that was a a third party sponsoring them or, or a social sponsorship or whatever it was. So yeah, I, did, I, I was, I noticed it all online throughout the summer. Did not expect it to be on their Jersey either, which made me wonder what it it's is. a weird but season, man. Now. I mean, it's like anything goes right now. <laughs> if they make the ACC championship game, you get another patch. Of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's all sorts of stuff happening. Um, but yeah, it's, I thought it was cool. They did, they did a good job with uh, the video, but yeah, the patch was kind of was like, huh, all right, you're all in with this stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, I, overall, it was there was a lot of interesting things happening from walking around the stadium today, the game itself, the post game. Uh, how was parking? How parking? Oddly, I've parked farther away than I usually do. Um, that was strange. There was today. Yeah, I, that that caught me a little bit off guard. But the weather was fine, so whatever. Um, yeah, it was it was just sort of a strange vibe. I, I did when I parked. I just sort of did a lap around the stadium just to sort of take. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a measure of like, all right, what is this vibe like? And I could not believe how silent it was two hours before the start of a major college football game. Um, but you know, that's that's the world we're living in right now. The weather didn't help. I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Um, that that definitely, I think, played an impact. That uh, you know, it was it was heavy. Um, you know, it was gray the whole day. It rained. Um, at least there was no lightning. So that was that was nice. If it was, if it's like this again next Saturday on USA, 
for USF, the PTSD that this fan base and frankly <laughs> ourselves are going to have will be second to none. Um, it just when you put when you tweeted out your game day forecast today, I mean, I was just oh god, here we go. I mean, Florida State has had multiple lightning delays today too, and different state and Florida's crazy weather patterns, but maybe I'm just partial to that USF game because it was the first game I ever covered and it lasted six hours and had a quarterback switch at halftime, but it, 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 I just got all sorts of queasy once I saw the weather forecast. Yeah, I was, I was glad that that cleared up. Um, you know, it did not rain that much. There was no lightning to speak of, um, but yeah, it was just sort of the, the whole thing was a weird vibe. Like you had, it was overcast, the weather, the signage, the just sort of general quiet um, around the stadium before the game started. It was just I, I've not been part of a game at Notre Dame like it, and hopefully I won't be part of any more than six more. Um, you know that. Did you get a meal? I did. There was a sort of a barbecue sack lunch. It was pretty good. Um, not bad. You know, some yeah. chips in there. At um, yeah, that was that was fine. I mean, the press boxes. I don't think I I talked to our you know our friend Tim Priester for a couple of minutes before the game, and that was. That was about all I said to anybody the whole day. Um, so that was that was a little bit weird too. But uh, yeah, just there was there was a lot today. There, you know, contract extension, the game, the performances, the ACC. I mean, this this game had a lot had a lot to it. I think that uh, this season, however it however long it lasts and wherever it goes, is going to be even more interesting than normal for Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is always pretty damn interesting, as you know. The one thing we didn't mention about the craziness of this day is the news out of the Big Ten, which may be voting this week to reverse its decision. And I'm just going to give up even trying to prognosticate what's going on with that dumpster fire of a conference right now. But it would be interesting if they start playing October and they're eligible for the playoff. I mean, that's that would affect Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah, would affect I mean, everybody. What, Notre Dame's going to be sitting there, and their season's going to be over, and they're waiting for the Big Ten to finish up. I, I have no idea how that's going to look. Like, I, I don't know how it's going to look either. But um, I, I don't know. I, I don't really know what the Big Ten is doing or thinking. Nor have I throughout much of this. Um, it's been a hot mess. Uh, but there's definitely a lot more positive vibes and optimism coming out of rosemont today than there have been in the last month so i think maybe next time we record we'll have a big 10 schedule to measure against notre dame's uh what would you say 10 and one uh or yeah 10 and one record yeah 10 and one maybe the maybe Uh, the 10 will be different the one will be different but you know 10 and one it's still i think i said eight and two completely forgot in their playing south it's still the friggin acc i mean i mean i don't until the acc has more than one good team uh i'm gonna be skeptical that you know, they have anybody that is sort of on Notre Dame's level. Um, I, I just hope for their sake they don't get caught up in, and I know it's inevitable at this point, but we wake up today to the news that Virginia, Virginia Tech is postponed yeah. next week, which means Virginia Tech is 0 for 2 in getting games played on time. And Virginia was originally not going to open then until October 3rd at Clemson, but they moved up their Duke game uh, to the 26th. So Duke learned today while getting ready for Notre Dame that they're playing Virginia. Meanwhile, Army comes into the locker room after another big win today, and they find out their game against BYU is postponed. I mean, next week's going to basically be week zero all over again. We'll have Notre Dame USF, but there won't be a whole lot of other big games, I think, to get excited about. It. Uh, I'm just grateful that there's a season to cover. Um, I yes. Mean, ultimately, yes, yes. that that is the point that overrides all other points, that uh, we have a season to cover. We have podcasts to do that – we're talking about football that's being played opposed to football that might be being played or presidents and their votes. 
Um, I do not envy our Big Ten brethren at all. And Nope. So Notre Dame moves forward. They're 1-0 after the 27-13 win over Duke. We'll be back Thursday with our next episode of the Shamrock um, and get into our twice-weekly schedule the rest of the season. So until then, I'm Pete Sampson. He's Matt Fortuna. Thanks for being with us on our first post-game episode of the Shamrock following Notre Dame's season-opening win over Duke 27-13.